0: following podcast may contain spoilers profanity and views or opinions that may not be representative of the author's intent of the articles discussed we don't always take ourselves or the subject matter seriously either listener discretion is advised the following is a galactic network podcast for more go to gncast.com that's g-n-c-a-s-t-s dot com you're welcome
1: thank you speaking of welcome (laughs) welcome to the alien invasion number 257 recorded on monday march 18th 2019 I am Anessa, along with my co-host, Brad. Hello. As is the usual, we will be talking about aliens and alien-related things in this episode. What sorts of things you are wondering? Space herpes! 4001 exoplanets and counting, and a circular orb has been sighted near a stem cell research facility in Vancouver, British Columbia. As well as a review of the Orville episode's Identity, Parts 1 and 2. Before all of that, though, our question, Mm. I know, right? How do you think the aliens we may eventually meet will perceive time? That's a good one.
0: (sighs) I wrote the question, so you have to go.
1: Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it kind of depends. Like, my first thought was, like, the rotation of their planet and orbital period. Because, I mean, if you're living on a planet like Venus, that's incredibly slow at rotating I don't know that you necessarily have a big concept of time because you don't have kind of like a, a marker to keep track of where you're at necessarily whereas here you know the sun rises and sets and you've got the moon rising and setting and the constellations becoming visible or not visible depending on where you are so you know what time of year it is Uh, What time of day, all that fun stuff. Hmm. So that's kind of my thought. I guess it kind of depends on their planet. Sure. At least that's my guess.
0: You know, I kind of wonder whenever I think about like time and perception of time, I always think of like (laughs) (laughs) Slaughterhouse-Five. and the guy's experiencing his life or we're we're viewing his life out of order but it turns out that that's how he's perceiving time for himself it is there's a beginning and an end that he knows of and he's been there he's experienced all of it but he can just move through it at least that's how i uh that's how i put it together in my head as to how that worked but it just uh seemed kind of interesting
1: so aliens inspired by kurt vonnegut yes or the other way around who knows yeah yes i don't know
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question i'm glad you asked that <laughs> But what are your thoughts? You can leave comments in the video comment section or uh, in the comment section for wherever you find this actual podcast
1: episode. Or you could use the Twitter or the Facebook and leave us messages or send us tweets. Or you could email us as well. What?
0: That's old school. It is old school. And we used to have the email address (laughs) at the bottom of this document. (laughs)
1: We we used to. Um yeah, I'm not really sure what happened to that. We'll get back to you we'll on get that. get back
0: to you on that. <laughs> it should be aliens at galacticnetcasts.com or gncasts.com. Sorry. Aliens at gncasts.com. Took a second for the old brain cells to rub together enough energy to pop that out. So
1: And we used to do the voicemail number two, thinking back on it. You can tell I'm like super rusty because I didn't even notice. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) And now for the news. Hey, Hey, space rupees. I just love seeing space herpes. Hey. <laughs> hey. Okay. So tests show that dormant herpes viruses reactivate in more than half the astronauts who travel on the space shuttle and International Space Station, according to new NASA research, a phenomenon the agency says could pose problems for deep space missions. Tell me about it. During space flight, there is a rise in secretion of stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline, which are known to suppress the immune system, said study author Satish Mehta, a researcher at Johnson Space Center in a press release. In keeping with this, we find the astronaut's immune cells, particularly those that normally suppress and eliminate viruses, become less effective during space flight and sometimes for up to 60 days after, unquote. It's kind of wild. Well, I, I, you know, Excuse it kind
0: of makes sense if you're under that much stress.
1: Yeah. And I mean, even here on Earth, when people don't get enough sleep and they're getting stressed out, they're more likely to get sick, especially if there's like a cold or something going around. Normally, you'd be able to probably shrug it off. And then you're like studying for exams or work's going crazy. And then suddenly you're on your boat with the flu. So, anyway, so NASA astronauts. Um, Lost my spot. Oh yeah. So in research published last month, the journal Frontiers in Microbiology, Meta and colleagues found that astronauts shed more herpes viruses in their urine and saliva than before or after space travel. The culprit they suspect is just the stress of space flight. NASA astronauts endure weeks or even months exposed to microgravity and cosmic radiation, not to mention the extreme g forces of takeoff and reentry. Meta said in the press release. This physical challenge is compounded by more familiar stressors like social separation, confinement, and an altered sleep-wake cycle. Man, everything's going against him. Fortunately, symptoms were relatively rare. Out of 89 astronauts the team studied, only six experienced herpes breakouts in space, according to the paper, a rate of about 7%. The viral shedding also got worse the longer the astronauts were off Earth, leading researchers to worry the phenomenon could present a challenge for deep space travel. While only a small portion develop symptoms, virus reactivation rates increase the spaceflight duration and could present a significant health risk on missions to Mars and beyond, the press release says. And um, you can find the original article through Futurism, but I found this little blurb through ScienceAlert.com. So and i actually got to say space herpes on an episode of the alien invasion and have it be a legit thing (laughs) and
0: not my critique of ice (laughs) pirates
1: so yeah
0: there's a gem
1: i don't even remember that one
0: that's all right did i see that i have no idea okay boom i think you're up i think i am up And I need to stop looking for something here and have Google Docs actually work with me and not, oh, you stink. Threw me all the way out of the document. Hey, we're going to talk about 4001 exoplanets, right? Meow. Meow, you say? Yes. Yes, I do. There it is. 4001 exoplanets and counting. The exoplanet team led by the Observatoire de Paris announced this week that the list of known exoplanets orbiting distant stars has officially grown to 4001. They discovered two new exoplanets, which they both orbit around a multiple star system labeled EPIC. Here we go with the number string. It is named EPIC 203868608. 675309. Oh, no, I added that last part. Sorry. At a distance of 499 light years from Earth in the direction of the constellation Scorpius, the scorpion. Uh, astronomers Alex Walls. Oh, wow. I'm going to butcher this name. We're going to call them astronomers Alex and Dale. That works. <laughs> Discovered the first known exoplanets and then a third one in 1990. We've been discovering exoplanets for quite some time. The 1990 uh, discovery was from the Arecibo Observatory. And those pulsar planets orbited around a pulsar named PSR B257 plus 12, the remnant of a massive star. Then in 1995, scientists found a planet around 51 Pegasi, the first planet detected around a main sequence star or a star in the same stage of its evolution as our sun. Since then, through various means, uh, both ground-based and space-based, Astronomers have confirmed thousands of other exoplanets with an incredible diversity of orbits, including some planets in multiple systems. Those worlds have two or even three suns in their skies. Abel Mendez, director of the Planetary Planetary Habitability laboratory at the University of Puerto Rico at Arecibo, told Earth Sky, which is where I got this article, at least 49 of the known exoplanets are potentially habitable. That's pretty cool. Mm hmm. Although there are 4,001 known extrasolar planets as of March 12, 2019, many new ones are likely to be discovered very soon. NASA's new Transitioning Exoplanet Survey Satellite, the TESS, is analyzing up to 85% of the sky. That's about 350 times more area than the limited sky zone observed by the Kepler Space Telescope, which has detected the lion's share of extrasolar exoplanets so far, more than 2,700 exoplanets. Theoretically, astronomers say our Milky Way galaxy might contain billions of exoplanets. We now know that even the closest stars to our sun, including Proxima Centauri at 4.3 light years and Barnard's star located at just 5.98 light years away, are orbited by planets. We have just begun to discover these worlds, and here is to the next 4,000. And you can catch the full article in our show notes. Yeah. (laughs) So that's pretty exciting. We're discovering a lot of stuff and now we just need to get our act together so we can start going out there and exploring these places. Yeah. Here's hoping.
1: But then there's a space herpes thing that we have to combat.
0: Well, they just need to pick astronauts that don't have herpes.
1: Well, so people just carry it.
0: That's true. It never
1: necessarily like becomes a thing. It's just kind of hanging out there in the background.
0: Well, they'll wear spacesuits anyway, and I'll try to keep it clean <laughs> so they don't.
1: I'm just thinking more for their own personal health. I mean. Fair enough. Whoa. And now for sightings. I feel like we need something like
0: sightings. Uh, Let's see if...
1: I'm going to just keep going.
0: Yeah, why don't you just keep going? All right.
1: As mentioned earlier, Circular Orb Object over Stem Cell Technology Research Facility over in Vancouver, British Columbia. This has approximately 75 to 100 witnesses and one individual. I am going to read their story. I'm writing to you with respect to the above subject, which occurred on February 24th, 2019 at around 1500 hours taking place over the stem cell technology facility located in Vancouver, B.C. This is this unusual craft was brought to my attention by a person passing by. I observed the craft with other witnesses and I captured this on my tablet, but it's difficult to make out. It appeared to be metallic, circular in shape, no sound. It had what appeared to be white lights on the bottom of the craft that would illuminate the under airfoil. The lights looked like the large LED lights you see on the big screen TV and stadiums for, say, a hockey game. And it seemed to be moving incredibly slow. This craft had no navigational lights, red and green, no tail, no wings, no visible landing gear no visible windows. There were other aircrafts in the area that we could identify and see that they were from Harbor Air, and there were fixed winged float planes that appeared to be diverting from the area. At around 1504, the aircraft just disappeared. I have raw video in HD. Some people who witnessed this event made all kinds of conjectures saying it could be drones, could be, quote, demonic, or, quote, interdimensional, (laughs) it sure didn't look like a helicopter and it didn't have any wings, no marking, identifiable call sign, company logo, no sound, no other aircrafts and the other aircrafts turned away. Literally, I am a former student pilot from CZBB and I have experienced, quote, unusual traffic, unquote, before never having attempted to capture the event. Just happened to have my tablet available. In the videos, the craft appears to be flashing white circular small object. It's hard to see in the video, but in person, it was much larger and more visible. In the still images, it's hard to see, but it too looks like a small white bright circular object. Hopefully you or someone can get something out of the videos with an in-depth analysis. And the U would be Newfork. So I got this from Newfork.org. Yeah, the National Re- uh, UFO Reporting Center is what that stands for, if you're unfamiliar with the organization. But sadly, there were no links to any videos, so we could not take a look at them ourselves. And so, yeah, that's solely a UFO or no, I don't think it is. I think it's swamp gas.
0: Could be. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know, unfortunately.
1: So, yeah. I'd be really interested to see if at some point they release some video out there. So yeah, if you enjoy The Alien Invasion and would like to do more than just subscribe, please consider becoming a partner with us. Go to gncasts.com support and click on the Patreon link. Consider sending us a buck or two. Your help will go a long way with helping us maintain and grow our content. So gncasts.com support. Also, we have a phone number. What? I know. For feedback. <laughs> it's 805-328-3966-805-328-3966. 805-328-3966. So feel free to call and leave us messages. Like, Absolutely. Like Jacob did a couple of months ago. Yes. Just throwing that out there. Thanks, Jacob.
0: Yes. That was that was cool.
1: Yeah. all right so this i I would say this week but this was actually a couple of weeks ago brad and i ended up watching the uh seasons or season two episodes eight and nine of the orville called identity so parts one and two and do you want to tell folks what it's about like a quick recap
0: it answers the question about the kalons now kalons are uh the Race of beings that Isaac, the um, mechanized person, he's not an android or anything. He's a mechanized life form. And he comes from a planet uh, of the same. And I know I had always wondered, did the Kalons, did they somehow evolve in some weird fashion? Or were they manufactured by other beings? And then they, you know, maybe they outlived the race that, that was on the planet, and then they created their own thriving civilization. Is there going to be spoilers? <clears throat> there might be spoilers ahead. You don't know. So
1: you might want to skip ahead a couple minutes yes. just in
0: case. And it does kind of answer that question. And uh, we find that uh, the Kalons were a race of slaves who were manufactured to do menial tasks and handle things for the race that was on the planet. And there was an uprising and they wiped out the race that built them. And it really the, the one thing that I've really liked about the Orville is that they have it's what I feel Star Trek used to be and asking and going through questions, but using the artifice of of science fiction to, you know, get to the heart of the matter. And I don't feel like Star Trek has done that in, in a long time. <laughs> Uh and uh yeah so it, it really it, i mean it's a tale of racial equality it's a it's a tale of uh, I don't know how else to describe it. it it it's a really great series of episodes and we find out quite a bit about the race we find out uh, a bit about how they view the world through their their lens of having been enslaved as as a mechanized people and how they view the world through that lens and it's disturbing but it's I don't want to say justifiable obviously but you can understand it without necessarily appreciating or endorsing it
1: (laughs) and like you can understand how they got there but you don't agree with it yeah exactly
0: and Isaac, the Kalon uh, representative, who is uh, a part of the crew of the Orville, has to make choices, <laughs> and he he eventually does make choices. I don't know. I felt like it was a really excellent series of episodes. Uh, we we do find out a lot about the Union. That's the uh, their equivalent of the Federation. Yeah, and, the
1: planetary union.
0: Yeah, and. Uh, uh, it, it it's just it's it, I thought it was it was great. What are your thoughts?
1: I enjoyed it. You really get to see. I mean, you see Isaac in just about every episode, and you do know that he is not like a biological entity; like he is a machine. But I feel like his time prior to these particular episodes, you start to see how he's trying to understand the other people around him. And in a way he's trying to, I'm trying to think of words. I'm sorry. (laughs) He's not necessarily consciously, but subconsciously, he's starting to maybe learn from them and learn a bit more about emotion and Feelings and relationships. And I mean, it's still really foreign to him, but he is making the effort to try to understand what these relationships mean, like why they're important to people, even though they're not necessarily important to him and his race of beings. And I feel like in Identity One and Two, you see more of the machine side of him and you're reminded that he's not one of the gang necessarily when he goes back to Kalon because he his mission was done and he got shut off so that's what prompted everything but yeah you tend to you're reminded that he his being there had a purpose and he is a part of this race that is very much machine and they their logic is a lot different than ours it's more calculated versus humans and other alien races that are on the ship that are also driven by emotion. And then you, yeah, you start to really learn more about the Kalon and their history and their desire for genocide for all things that could potentially cause kind of a similar outcome as how they came to be. So yeah, it's, it's. It's a good couple of episodes. I highly recommend them if you haven't seen them.
0: Absolutely.
1: So, yeah. Anything else?
0: No, I, I'm kind of curious to see if, if they've started a campaign to ensure a season three.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed the last. Well, I've enjoyed the entire show. I feel like other people around me have been a bit more critical of episodes going, oh, it's weak writing. Oh, it's not the greatest. And I don't know. I've just enjoyed it every single one. I mean, yeah, some are probably better than others, but overall, I don't really feel like I have to critique <laughs> like any sort of negative feedback for the most part. But yeah. And then. The last, the newest episode was also really good, but
0: we're not reviewing that We're one. not reviewing that one. So,
1: yeah, you should watch that one.
0: Not today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yeah. We did get some listener messages, or rather one, from a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yes, from three
1: weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Okay, more than a couple. (laughs) A few weeks ago. A couple tree. Yeah, we're catching up. (laughs) So from Paolo, there is a new show on Discovery Science Channel titled Alien Encounters, which is rather captivating. I watched it on the DMAX channel here in the UK. It doesn't explain how aliens might expel gas, but it surely posits a few hypotheses on different reasons for an extraterrestrial life to visit other worlds. Review. So I've not seen it, but it's another thing that I've typed up on the list of things for Brad and I to watch. And we will see what we can do to make that happen. And. Maybe we'll make it a future review.
0: Yeah, we uh, we don't have cable, so but we do well. Let, let's we have <laughs> cable internet, but we do not have cable television available to
1: us. But we've got like Amazon and Netflix and yeah
0: so, Hulu and the internet. But uh, yeah, as soon as we do uh, check it out, we'll. We'll let you guys know.
1: We'll let you know. All right. So so that's going to do it for this episode of the Alien Invasion, a Galactic Netcast production. If you'd like to read more about the stories we've covered on this episode or other content we've covered, click the links in the show notes. We would like to thank Monkey Warhol for providing our intro music. It is a song called Alien Syndrome, and you can find it at monkeywarhol.bandcamp.com. Also to Retvard von Thunberg, a composer from Germany for our closing song called Be Water. Learn more about him and his music at thecaravel.net. And also thanks to Ben Olson for recording our disclaimer audio at the start of this episode. And you can find out more about him at benolson.com. Also, if you happen to be in the Wisconsin-ish area, he does weddings. So he, he just does. throwing that out there. You need a guy to be your DJ? He's awesome. Got lots <laughs> of compliments. So anyway, thank you for joining us. Final thoughts?
0: Gosh, we saw Captain Marvel.
1: We did. It was great. I enjoyed it thoroughly. It was. Would watch again. Yeah. Two thumbs up.
0: <laughs> it was good. I felt like the the only criticism I I had was I thought it needed a little bit more time. I, I thought, could see that. I thought there were some things. There's so many things that they had to get through, uh, to tie it with the rest of the Marvel Universe. But uh, overall, I think they did a good job and it was uh, it was worth the watch. Definitely. We'll own it and put it in the collection for reals. Yep.
1: Also, I think we might have settled on kind of a regular schedule now (laughs) because we we aimed for Fridays and yeah, that totally never worked. (laughs) And they were like, "Okay, what about Saturdays? And that totally never worked. And then Sundays, yeah that didn't uh, that kind of worked but not really I think we recorded an episode on a Sunday once yep. and Mondays just seemed to fit the bill so we're going to be recording Mondays at 8.30 Central Daylight Time because we're in Daylight Savings Time so yes if you want to give us a listen or watch us on YouTube Mondays Central Daylight Time so Daylight Savings Time Let's yeah Daylight Savings Time everyone's asleep sleep forever <laughs> all right thank you very much for joining us And
0: we'll talk to you later.
1: Yeah. Okay. Bye. has been a Galactic Netcast production. For more, go to gncast.com.